podcast. I'm Gregory Patrick for AM860, The Answer. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please stand for the playing of our national anthem. And we're on. I'm Dr. Bill. Welcome to the show. And guess what day it is today, Ken? <laughs> it's the 4th of July. Happy birthday, America! <laughs> you go. You go, guys and gals and everybody. <laughs> so we're going to have to talk about the Declaration of Independence because that's what was rolled out on this day in 1776. And by the way, you probably didn't know this. I don't know. Maybe you did. Did you know that both... Uh, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died on July 4th, 1825, just hours apart. You know, I did know that. And I also know they didn't like each other very much at that point. And I think with the Jefferson's last words that Adams lives or Jefferson's or the other way around, who died first? Well, actually, they did reconcile around 1812 uh, after Jefferson got out of office. You know, he was president from 1800 to 1808. <clears throat> oh, I then, thought that feud went on forever. No, they actually um, they they actually corresponded and they they made up. And uh, at the end, uh, Jefferson wanted to know if Adams was dead yet. He he wanted to know if his buddy was uh, alive or dead. And kind of a touching story. Um, and Jefferson was an interesting guy. You know, he was uh, uh, our ambassador during the Revolutionary War to France and uh, remained a diplomat and then came back as Secretary of State under under Washington in the first term. Second term, he, he did, demurred and did not serve with Washington because he disagreed with the Federalist and their push for a stronger central government and central economy. He was the Democratic Republican, and uh, I guess he was the I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's, he started the Democratic Party, but he was the forerunner of the Democratic Party, the Democratic Republicans. They morphed into the Democrats under Andrew Jackson. But uh, well, he, he, was won- a, he was a staunch isolationist, too, wasn't he? Uh, no, he actually wanted us to get involved in the in the world war that was waging uh, after Napoleon or before, right before Napoleon took over in France, the French Revolution was turning into a world war because it involved uh, the Americas, it involved Europe, it involved North Africa and the Middle East, and uh, the British were were trying to battle the, you know, keep the, the French down, and, and then Napoleon came in. And 
the big rift at that time was that the Federalists under John Adams had kept us out of the war. And uh, he and, and, and uh, Washington and the Federalists all agreed that it would be devastating to the country if we were pulled back into the war, especially if we were pulled in, into it on the side of France uh, rather than Great Britain. And we actually fought a quasi-war in the, in, the, uh, in the Caribbean against French shipping because they were uh, seizing our, our ships and impounding our sailors or impressing our sailors and, and taking off with our goods. And so we, we had to back them down a little bit. And Adams actually built up a pretty good-sized navy at that point, which Jefferson quickly uh, uh, decommissioned, but then he had to recommission it to fight the, <laughs> the Barbary pirates, the Barbary Wars. And you know the, the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli. Well, Tripoli is, you know, North Africa. And the, the, the shipping uh, channels through that area, through the Mediterranean, were being pirated by uh, the uh, Barbary Muslim pirates, not the the Muslims had a had a monopoly on on the uh, piracy because, of course, there were pirates up and down the east coast of the United States and in the Caribbean uh, as well. That that was one of the problems that that the colonials were upset about was that uh, Great Britain was not only not enforcing their their maritime law uh, along the coast of the Americas, but they were also uh, stealing our our merchant marines and turning them into you know, impressing them into uh, service as British sailors. So we were upset about that. That's in the Declaration of Independence, by the way. That's probably the most eloquent Dear John letter in history. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I never thought about it that way, Doc, but I have to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's like, hey, Dad, you see this middle finger? <laughs> we're leaving, and you can't stop us. And uh, But a very eloquent, and... We think that Jefferson actually came up with that all on his own. He did not. It was a committee, and uh, a lot of that verbiage had been around for a decade or so after the French and Indian War, what's known as the Seven-Year War in Europe. Uh, it ended in, in 1760. Uh, that's when the rift between the colonies and King George and Parliament began because the crown was broke after the French and Indian War, the Seven Years' War, and even though they got the rest of uh, North America from, or at least the northern North America from from the French, uh, they still were, were completely broke. And that was a, it was a costly war for Britain. And so uh, the king had made promises to the colonials, if you fight in the militia with us, then you can have to settle the land between the Appalachians and the Mississippi. And then after the war, he said, no, I'm going to reserve that for the Native Americans. And so the, the colonials were like, wait a minute, that's not what you told us when we signed up. And uh, then he said, well, by the way, you need to pay some taxes. And they said, well, we understand you're broke and we're willing to help, but uh, we need some representation in Parliament. And King said, no, your children, you're too young. You don't, you don't have the experience. And so that's how it all started, the Tax Act, the Stamp Act, uh, the tea taxes, and, you know, all that led up to... Uh, the revolt, the revolution, and uh, and on July 4, 1776, after the committee had written this, uh, they gave it primarily to Jefferson because he was such a gifted uh, wordsmith uh, to put it into an order that, that that sounded good, and they made some minor changes. You can see it being tweaked by uh, Adams and uh, 
some of the other members of the committee that that actually were responsible for presenting this to the to the Continental Congress. But it's a fascinating story. And you know what Jefferson wanted on his headstone? No, he was, what was that? He wanted that he was the author of the Declaration oh. of Independence. That was his that he felt that was the greatest thing that he had done in his life. And he's probably right. It probably was, although a lot of people think that Louisiana Purchase was. But uh, That was just shrewd. This was inspired. This was this was uh, inspired, well, well written. And uh, I think that he got lucky on the uh, Louisiana Purchase because, thankfully, uh, you know, Napoleon was going to come back over to New Orleans and take over the Mississippi and and stop the Americans from expanding westward past the Mississippi. Did you know that? I, I had you know I have never heard that before. Napoleon had plans to come over here, huh? All right. Yeah, he was. He actually sent a force to put down the rebellion in Haiti. The Haitians were the first uh, uh, Caribbean black Caribbean country to revolt the, the slaves, and they were successful. And so he sent five or ten thousand troops over because he thought that's all it would take to put it down. Most of them died uh, because the the Haitians were guerrilla fighters, and then there was yellow fever and and um, um, all kinds of diseases that were attacking the the uh, the, the French soldiers who weren't used to it. And uh, um, so the the force was going to put down the revolt and then move to New Orleans. Well, he lost, and then he had the, all these expensive campaigns going on in Europe. And so uh, there had been some under-the-table dealings to, uh, with, I'm sure, with all of the three presidents, both Washington and Adams and Jefferson, to purchase that land, since it basically was sitting empty anyway. Uh, but uh, Jefferson was in the catbird seat uh, when Napoleon pulled the trigger and said, we're broke. You want to buy it? Yeah. Uh, Timing is everything in a real estate. Timing is everything, you know. And so he gets the credit. Uh, but there's a lot of background to it, and we have the Haitians to thank, in part, for that. And uh, and my hat's off to the Haitians as well. They're good people. Too bad they've had such a hard time getting their government organized. But yeah, but they got some great beaches. They got great beaches, and uh, their their clothing industry is uh, unbelievable. They make some of the best cotton shirts I have ever bought. I'd love to go down to Port-au-Prince for a weekend and just do some shopping, but uh, I don't know if I can get the wife to go with me. I, just, I don't think she'd like that a lot because it's still a pretty poor area. But, you know, it, there's a lot of the country that has developed, and there's a lot of, of wealth in, in Haiti. It's just such a maldistribution. You know, there's such a— Well, there's a, so a, much graft there. I mean, it's terrible. <clears throat> well, that's most of, of, of the rest of the world, yeah, especially I guess in, so. in Central and South America. I mean, it's just— so much corruption, it's hard to believe. At any rate, so Jefferson and his gang of uh, his committee, they put the, the Declaration of Independence together, and, and they sent it off to King George. And when they were all leaving the uh, uh, the hall in, in Philadelphia after presenting and voting on this thing, um, uh, I think it was uh, Ben Franklin said to everybody, we better hang together or we'll all hang separately. Because <laughs> <laughs> the king would be looking for it. <laughs> and how the king did, that know, stuff, how did we get these? I'm going to hang them. <laughs> how did we get the turkey? The turkey? Yeah, for the national bird. 
I mean, uh, the eagle rather, not the not the turkey. Wasn't it between the turkey and the eagle or something like that? Well, it was uh, it was uh, uh, it, it was uh, our printer friend from Philadelphia who wanted to make the turkey the national bird, and you know he was quite a character, Ben Franklin. He uh, he was kind of the hippie of the gang. <laughs> And he never probably probably never did an honest physical day's labor in his life, uh, but he was quite the businessman. And you know he made his money selling poor Richard's almanac. And you know how he did it? He franchised it up and down the colonies and into the Caribbean. He actually would would come in and and split fifty fifty with uh, with the local printers. And he'd say, "Look, you print this and you sell it, and uh, you know deduct the cost, and we'll split the the, the profits fifty fifty. And he became fairly rich by just selling his poor Richard's Almanac. So he'd write it, and I'm sure he had help writing it, too. And, um, you know, he'd consult the weather experts. And But by the way, he was the first meteorologist to realize that our weather comes primarily from the West. So storms usually come in. And Florida's a little different because we're a peninsula. But storms like in, in, in Kentucky, they almost invariably came from the West and the Northwest. Why? You know the answer to this. Well, this, I imagine it's the uh, spin of the planet. Yeah, it's the rotation of the yeah. Earth, the spin of the planet. That's right. But uh, Ben Franklin was the first person to actually put this down on paper, at least in the Western world. The Chinese probably discovered it 10,000 years ago. Who knows? And uh, But uh, that's how Ben made it. And, and uh, when he went to, to be our legate in in uh, France during the Revolutionary War along with with uh, Tom Jefferson he found this older French girlfriend I think he was still married at that time <laughs> okay and, and he was so proud of her and of course she stunk and just like he did they didn't believe in bathing and they had long hair and you know they they, they must have been quite a couple <laughs> Adams was appalled. He was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and Adams and Jefferson, and I'm sorry, Adams and Franklin actually traveled uh, after the Battle of New York, the beginning of the Revolutionary War, when we lost it at Harlem Heights, which I think Washington knew we were going to lose, but felt that he had to get, get his, let his troops get their feet wet and get a little bloody, toughen them up, you know, make them see that they're going to have to pull together and be an army and not just a ragtag militia. At any rate, so they went to meet with, uh, I forget who it was, Admiral Howard or General Howard or somebody at New York. So uh, Ben and John Adams traveled from Philadelphia to New York. And, of course, they had to stop at inns along the way. And in those days, uh, you're lucky if you got a bed, uh, much less if you got a bed that didn't have three other guys in it already. So they had to share a room everywhere they went. And, uh, you know, it was it was cold out and and. And Franklin wanted the window open. <laughs> he always slept with the window open. And Adams was just furious because he was freezing to death and couldn't get a good night's sleep. But, uh, they had uh, an interesting relationship. That's that's for sure. The founding fathers are. Oh, we're not allowed to say that. Uh, the uh, founding they, people. The founding people or the uh, those those elitist white guys that. <laughs> I don't know. What do we call them now? <laughs> Dudes in white wigs? I don't know. Well, you know, Ben, he didn't have a wig. That was real. <laughs> that was his hair. <laughs> but, uh, 
No, Ben that, Franklin, that fascinating character. I don't know that much about him, but I have to do some research. Very interesting man. And uh, uh, he was the person who, quote, quote, discovered electricity, and they called him uh, Monsieur or uh, Dr. Electrique. And, and, and the king, uh, who had to deal with Jefferson and Adams and uh, Ben Franklin because they were staying in one of the buildings near the court of, of uh, King Louis. Uh, he said he had had enough of him when he went to use his chamber pot and there was a picture of Ben Franklin on the bottom. <laughs> the rock star. So they, they were licensing his picture and, you, you know, women could get lockets, you could get flags with his face on it and all kinds of, you know, junk trinkets and, and was, was pooping on Ben's head. <laughs> He said he's had enough of him. <laughs> Didn't want to hear from him anymore. <laughs> Threw the uh, same pot out the window. <laughs> great American way, man. Oh, only yeah. in America. Only so America is right. Like the Beatles were in the '60s. He was known worldwide. Ben Franklin. Mm. That's that, that. And he, I think he was on. I can't remember. I know Adams was on the committee that helped write the Declaration of Independence. I think Ben was on it too because he was a printer and a writer, so he probably would have been on that. that makes sense. Were they there in France to? convince the French to join us. Is that, is that what they were doing there? Yeah, the French had said, yeah, we'll help you. And uh, and so we waited and we waited and Washington kept saying, when are you going to get them to help us? And and the French kept saying, well, we're, we're really busy right now with the English. You know, we're, we're trying to, to uh, keep them off our back. And so because the the World War was not started, but it was there was still smoldering from the French and Indian, the seven year war. So the, uh, the French were like, well, we, we still got a lot going on. So let us, uh, let us work on this. We'll get back to you. And so Ben and, and Adams and, uh, Thomas Jefferson, they were there to pressure the French into jumping in and helping us out. And finally they did at Yorktown. And that was the, the coup de grace. I, th- I think we would have won the war anyway. The war was actually won in the South believe it or not. And the, uh, and, and, uh, the British had retreated to the peninsula, uh, at Yorktown, which is now what part of uh, Virginia. Uh, I guess that time it was part of Virginia too. They had retreated back to the peninsula because they realized that defeat was imminent. Uh, but the, the French came in with their fleet and blocked the English from resupplying or rescuing their, their troops and uh, French forces and and American forces under Washington uh, made it out to the end of the peninsula and dug in, actually dug trenches and got closer and closer. It was trench warfare and uh, got close enough that they could start shelling and and firing at the British. And uh, finally, Cornwallis surrendered and said, we we give up. We can't escape. We know it. we're, We're trapped. It's, and, a, uh, it's a classic siege. Yeah, it was a siege. It was. Yeah. It really was. And it was a trench warfare. And, uh, you know, they'd dig a trench and drag a cannon up a little bit closer every day and get within firing range. And then they dug more trenches and got up close enough to fire their rifles, get some of them Kentucky long rifles. Did you know that they were actually rifled? You know what rifling is? Um, it, I'm not quite sure. Go ahead. Tell me what that is. I think it has to do with something inside the barrel. Yeah, yeah. The smoothbore was what had been the standard uh, on guns for 
deck, you know, for centuries. And, and so some hillbilly, probably one of my kinfolk up in the hills of Kentucky, he figured out that if you uh, etched a spiral uh, groove into the inside of the barrel, the bullet would spin and you would have, uh, uh, you would have more stability and uh, it would go a little bit further and it would shoot straighter. So our, our sharpshooters, our, our snipers, could be 100 yards, 150 yards away from the British lines and could hit, a, could hit an officer. <laughs> you know, and that's what happened at, at, uh, at uh, <clears throat> oh gosh, what was the battle at the courthouse? Uh, they, they actually shot the, the commanding officer of the British and the British ran away. <laughs> they they uh, retreated from the field because they lost their, their general. Um, well, that's useful. That's useful information. That's why you start hitting the officers immediately then everywhere you fight. Yeah. Yeah. This battle of Monmouth, Monmouth uh, was uh, in, I think, in New Jersey. I'm pretty sure it was in New Jersey. And that was one of the battles that Washington won, although he downplayed it and said, oh, we didn't win. It was a draw. He never wanted the British to think that he had beat them. He, he wanted a war of attrition and uh, because he thought that the French may not come. So the way you do that is you act like you're losing, even if you're winning, and uh, make them keep committing until they get tired, and then they go home. Which well, they had some mighty long supply lines there for that age. Yeah, yeah very protracted. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of uh, internecine battling as well between the colonials because about a third of the country wanted to stay with Great Britain. A third wanted to secede and, and start their own country break away and a third didn't care they just wanted to be left alone so you know you you had troops that need to be fed you had to get gunpowder and supplies water horses all these things i mean it, it was a, it was a fight just to get goods uh, and washington would would give out vouchers and promise to repay people for whatever they they gave to the army or sold to the army because they didn't have any money. There was no currency at that time. The Confederate dollar was, uh, you heard the term, the con- I don't give a Confederate damn. Yeah. Well, that's because the, uh, the Confederate IOUs that the troops got and people got when they gave goods to the, to the army were, were of no value until, until the Constitution was formed and the country became the United States of America rather than the Confederate state confederations. It was a federation instead of a confederation. Did they honor those? Yeah, they uh, did. That's, okay. Yeah, that's what happened. Uh, what 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 happened is uh, <clears throat> our first Secretary of the Treasury said, you know, we can't have a country, we can't do business as a country unless we pay our debts. So we have to pay off our our our, our continental uh, IOUs. A lot of the soldiers had sold their IOUs to what Jefferson called jobbers, which were speculators. You know, they were buying them for ten cents on the dollar, and hoping that uh, the government would uh, uh, would would form and that the Treasury would then pay off the debt. And and Alexander Hamilton, who was the brilliant young man of the of the founding whatever they are, founding Individuals. People, individuals, the... Founding said, humans, the founding humans. The founding He said, listen, you have to pay your debts. If we don't pay our debts, nobody in the world will do business with us. And so he bullied the uh, 
Democratic Republicans and the Federalists were all for that anyway, and uh, bullied Congress into voting to pay it. And they did. And so some people got very rich who had bought these these continental dollars for 10 cents and then got 90 cents back, not a bad return. And you might have had to held it for a decade, but <clears throat> still, you know. Long-term investment, sure. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's ten times what you paid for yeah. it. Now, now, how did how, was that the first national debt? I mean, did we just create a national debt at that point because we had no money, there were no taxes coming in, were there? Well, that's why the whiskey tax was uh, act was passed. That was the first big tax that the federal government passed, and of course, that sparked the whiskey rebellion, which uh, Washington and uh, Hamilton they put back on their old beat up uniforms and took a few thousand guys out to the hills of Pennsylvania and captured the ringleader and ran everybody else off, I guess. He was bombed. He was, he was, he was drunk. He was easy. And, and, you know, they had actually, I I don't know if they, if they just beat him up or they killed the the tax collector out there. And that started the whole, uh, uh, the whole uh, moonshining industry because the farmers out there, said, well, we're not going to pay taxes on stuff we make on our own land. Forget about it. And they ran up into the hills, and that's where the hillbillies came from. And uh, Yeah, yeah ta- tax collector used to be a pretty dangerous job in this country. Oh, yeah, yeah. in a lot of countries. In a lot of countries. You'd get killed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not a good profession to be in if you... Uh, we're on the wrong side of if, if a lot of people didn't like the government, they wouldn't pay the taxes. Now you, you just have the IRS to deal with. Mm-hmm. They'll scare you to death. They just put you in jail. Yeah, exactly. Hey, look at the time. How about some fireworks? Oh my God. There we go. Yay. Oh, beautiful. Oh, wow. Ooh. All right, so when we come back, we're going to talk about the Declaration of Independence. But i got to tell you this one thing. Speaking of big bangs, now there's a, a, a scientist uh, at the uh, – a physicist at the University of New Hampshire, and she has a new theory that there is no big bang, that the universe has always been here in some form or another, and so that it is infinite and that it was actually a, a more gradual, drawn-out uh, – uh, you know, for us, it would have seemed like uh, – a short period of time, but in in cosmological terms, it was a very long period of time that that the universe is eternal, and which is what I've been saying for decades that you know God and the universe they're the same, but you can't say that too loudly. Um, you might get people upset. <laughs> not, we don't want that. We not, want everybody happy. Not, not people. Um, we have to come up with another uh, homo, homo sapiens. Can we use homo sapiens? Well, homo means man, so we oh, can't okay. use, All right. have to use. All right. Let's figure it out during the news. <laughs> Let's figure it out during the news. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. We'll be right back. We're doing a special 4th of July show. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. A three-story apartment building in South Florida has been evacuated after an inspector discovered structural damage in a vacant unit. A Miami Beach spokesman says the fire department was called to the residential building last night. The instructor found a flooring system failure and excessive deflection on an exterior wall. Building evacuated out of an abundance of caution because of the collapse of the one at Surfside. That has killed more than 100 people. 
A government minister says England may soon abandon legal requirements for wearing masks as the nation waits for Prime Minister Boris Johnson to announce plans for easing COVID-19 measures. Johnson is expected in the next few days to update England on Freedom Day, as he is calling it. Freedom, the celebration of the 4th of July here in the U.S., getting kind of back to normal fireworks celebrations in a lot of parts of the country today. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser. Doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. My friends at St. Pete MRI and Sleep Diagnostics are your best choice for state-of-the-art MRI, CT, and sleep studies. Quality unsurpassed. 25 years experience makes St. Pete MRI my go-to imaging center. Self-pay rates are competitive and out-of-pocket cost a fraction of a hospital. Conveniently accessible from both sides of the bay at 750 94th Avenue North, St. Pete, near the Gandhi, 727-577-2220, 727-577-2220. Trading involves financial risk and is not suitable for all investors. Past results do not guarantee future performance. Traders, listen up. As life in America starts to return to normal, are you looking for the best trading opportunities? With the current real estate market, the rise of crypto, and the volatility of tech stocks, it's virtually impossible to guess what will happen next. With Vantage Point, you don't have to. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 to learn how our technology analyzes over 1 million data points per day. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 so you can learn how to predict market trends up to three days in advance with incredible accuracy. Whether you're trading stocks, options, forex, futures, or crypto, Vantage Point's patented artificial intelligence can give you a massive edge. Text MONEY to 813-813 to find out how to maximize your gains. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 to learn how to use the volatility to your advantage. Don't wait. Text the word MONEY to 813-813 now. Go to vantagepointsoftware.com for terms, conditions, and privacy policy. This is Dennis Prager along with my fellow host Mike Gallagher. We both want to invite you to join us for a trip of a lifetime to the Holy Land this October 27th to November 5th. I've been all over the world, but I can never get enough of the great state of Israel with all its historical and religious significance. 
Call 855-565-5519. That's 855-565-5519. Or book online at standwithisraeltour.com. AM 860, The Answer. Online at theanswertampa.com. Odyssey. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Mostly cloudy skies for today with a thunderstorm in parts of the area and a high 90. Tonight, mainly cloudy with a low 78. Considerable cloudiness on Monday with an afternoon thunderstorm around and a high of 92. Plan with confidence. Download the redesigned AccuWeather app today. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gregory Patrick for AM860, The Answer. Are we back? We are. Ooh. Oh, my God. Kaboom. <laughs> Don't you love it, baby? Don't you love it? I do. I love fireworks. Nothing like a good fireworks show. So we we hold these truths to be self-evident, guy. That? We're doing a radio show. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So everybody knows the first few sentences, uh, you know, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Basically we're saying, Hey, Hey dad, (laughs) guess what? We're leaving, and here's why. <laughs> We're moving out. That's We're moving right. out. We're moving our stuff out because you want us to pay rent, but you don't give us a vote in the household, so we're leaving. So what what the declaration says is that basically uh, we have certain in, unalienable rights. They're inherent. They're, they pre-exist. They're, they're like physical laws or mathematical laws. They're there whether you're there or not that we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and uh, that to secure these rights, we form governments to uh, and laws to protect ourselves and do all these things, and that the rule of law comes from the consent of those who are to be governed. That's you and me, Ken. But I understand, yes. We're the boss. And when any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, becomes negative, uh, then it's the right of the people to alter it or abolish it, which is, you know, what we've been talking about, altering our, our government. Some people would like to alter it so that we no longer have the the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> yeah. And others of us would like it so that we would be able to yeah. read it every 4th of July like they used to do. So, you know, the Declaration of Independence talks about safety and happiness, why would they be talking about safety in, in this document, Ken? Because it's your right to be safe and happy. Yeah, because they felt that they weren't being protected yeah. by by Dad. Dad wasn't taking care of business. <clears throat> and not only that, he was being a tyrant and, and giving them a good ass-whipping every time they tried to do something different than what he wanted them to do. And so the colonial said, well, look, we've been patient and suffering under this uh, rule of yours, Dad, since 1760 you've been giving us heck and it's 16 years so adios you know you're not going to do it to us anymore and uh repeated injuries and usurpations and big words that all mean hey cut the crap we're gone <laughs> so he is a few uh, he, the king he had refused his assent to laws uh 
so laws would be passed by parliament, but they wouldn't apply to the colonials. <laughs> that'll get the king upset. And, well, that'll get the colonials upset, too. Yeah, yeah. Now the colonials are saying, well, since you didn't treat us the same way you treated everybody back in England, we're going to treat ourselves. And so he interfered, the king and parliament, they interfered with the states uh, or the colonies passing their own laws. And um, he stationed troops because he said, you're in a state of rebellion because, you know, in 1775, 1774, 75, countries started getting a little edgy, you know, Concord and, and all that. And so the king sent more troops over. And not only did he send English troops, Ken, but he... He, he hired uh, mercenaries. He hired the, the, the German Hessians, Hessians rather, not Hessians, Hessians, and sent them over too. And the colonials are like, oh, my God, this guy's sending over uh, mercenaries to, to step on us. Uh, but we had, we, had a, we, had a, we had an ace up our sleeve. We invented guerrilla warfare at that point. Well, yeah, well, I think the Vietnamese invented it long before we did but well so yeah but we used it very effectively and they, <laughs> they could not deal with it for a while no and they were they were shocked that our troops were shooting at them from behind stone walls not only shooting at them and not coming out in the open because you know warfare in europe at that time was was fought in lines you'd, you'd march up in a line and you'd shoot at each other and try to outflank each other and all that we said, nah, we ain't doing that. We'll hide behind a rock and shoot at you. Said, That's stupid. We're going to sit behind this stone wall and pick you off one at a time with our with our, with our brand new rifles that have been rifled. So they shoot really yeah. straight and really far. Yeah. And so the king, in order to dilute the power of the colonies, he set up new offices in, within the colonies and took over the governorships and uh, uh, instituted more uh, uh, more bureaucracy and, and red tape sounds familiar, doesn't it? I, I was just about to say that. Things don't seem to change much around No, there. haven't changed much. <laughs> um, and so he affected to render the military, the king, independent of and superior to the civil power. In other words, he no longer allowed the people to be in control of the military. So that's one of the big things in our Constitution is that we insist that the military is under the control of the people. Uh, the, the president may be the head of the military, he may be the commander-in-chief, but Congress is the one who ultimately says we're going to have an army or a navy and we're going to fund it or we're not going to fund it. So we're the people there. And so uh, he's quartering large bodies of armed troops and he's making the people in, in, in the big cities like Boston and New York, he's making them put these soldiers up in their homes. He's saying, the, the the decree from Parliament was that you have to let soldiers stay in your home. And people are like, wait a minute, you're, you're telling me I have to have this soldier in my house? And I, who, who's going to pay for the rent? Who's going to pay for the food? We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and so, and then, you know, what else he was doing, the king? He was shipping people back to London to be tried for treason and other offenses. And then he wouldn't let the, uh, the the colonials trade with the rest of the world. He, he said, well, you you know, you can't. You have to send everything to London, and we'll put a tax on it, and then we'll ship it on for you. 
and we need the money. So you guys have to send all your goods to, to London first, and we'll take care of the details and ship it off to the, and sell it to the rest of the world. So No wonder like, we fought this guy. I know. It's like, wait a minute. What happened to free trade? <laughs> well, you're not adults yet. You, you're still living at home, and, you know, it's like, uh, what's her name, Lohan? Who's the girl that's her father won't let go of her conservancy because she was a little crazy? That's Spears. I'm not sure which one that is. I'm Spears. In... Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Stephanie. What's her name? Tiffany. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. Doc. <laughs> yeah, but basically the same thing. And and so we're Brittany, trying to. Brittany. That's it. Brittany. Brittany. Spears. Yeah. And then again, of course, the tax thing that always gets people upset if you tax them without their consent. Let's see. Uh, 95% of the taxes are paid by, what, 10 or 15% of the people? That's about right. Mm-hmm. And so do I have a say in whether or not I'm taxed? I don't think so. <laughs> so something's not right here. Yeah, something had to and, change. And, you know, the trial by jury was suspended. The writ of habeas corpus was suspended. All these things pop up in our in our Bill of Rights now. Uh, the, the abolition of the free system of English law in neighboring provinces uh, like uh, Canada. You know, there were provinces up there that the English also controlled. And arbitrarily changing the boundaries and making promises to let the colonials settle the West. What was in the West was, you know, Indiana, Ohio, Illinois. Um, and saying, no, now you can't do it. We're giving that to the Native Americans. Uh, tried to destroy the charters that had been given. The charters for the colonies had been given by the crown over the centuries. Did you know that? I did not know that either. You are just a wealth of information today. Yeah, so if you wanted to start like the Massachusetts colony, you had to get permission from the crown if you were going to do it in the name of England. And uh, you you may have to do some uh, financial uh, wrangling with the crown. It depended on whether the crown was in need of money or was more interested in getting you out there to seize some land and keep the, the French and, and the Spanish out of North America. So, any rate, <clears throat> and you probably didn't know this either. The English were seizing our citizens, our merchant marines on the high seas and forcing them to be English sailors. They were impressing them. Uh, and that's what got us upset again in 1812, by the way, and we fought the English again over that. Man. Uh, the, the, the colonials were not happy with the Indians because the Indians, a lot of the tribes had sided with the French in the French and Indian War. And, you know, scalping didn't start with the Indians. The French did that. They said, we don't believe that you're killing all these uh, uh, mercenaries and soldiers, these English soldiers and these colonial uh, not mercenaries, but colonial militiamen. So, in order to prove it to us, you got to bring us their scalp. And so they taught the Indians. The French taught the Indians how to scalp us. And uh, <laughs> okay, well, another reason and, not to go to Canada, I guess. Well, that kind of got the uh, that kind of got the uh, the colonials upset. You well, know, yeah. When, when when they got their their loved one's body back from the war and it didn't have a a head of hair on it. You know, hair was an important thing back then. Right. You kept a lock of hair for life, for the rest of your life, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so they looked at the Indians in the, in the Declaration of Independence, which will get the, the woke and the uh, Antifa people all upset. They called the Indians savages, the merciless Indian savages. 
whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. Because, uh, you know, the Indians were getting a little upset, too, because they felt like their land was being encroached upon, even though they didn't have deeds and their there were not a whole lot of, of uh, farming communities among the Indians. There were still a lot of nomadic people, but there were farming communities. Uh, so uh, all these things came into play, and uh, and the colonials were upset. And they said, look, the, these guys, these Indians are coming and kidnapping our women and children, which was part of the customs of, of a lot of the Indian tribes. They'd raid another tribe and, and take off with the best-looking women. Who wouldn't? I mean, come on. It made sense to me, but uh, and the, the worst part of it is some of the white women wanted to stay with the Indians. They got <laughs> so that even got the colonial guys even more upset. Man, so, it was quite complicated back then. It was complicated. Well, I mean, it's always complicated, but it, it the same things nowadays. So at any rate. And the colonials go on to say, look, we petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. In other words, we've come to you guys with our hat in our hand multiple times and asked you to please take care of this. Please give us a vote. And uh, and so then finally they say, a prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. So in other words, screw you. <laughs> We're going. Uh Calling the king a tyrant probably would get you hung over there, I would think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so then it goes on to say, adios, we're leaving. And uh, and they signed it. And, of course, John Hancock, who looked to make big money on the on the American Revolution because he was the probably the richest guy in the colonies and did the most trading. And he was the most upset of all the merchants because all of his goods had to go to England uh, to be taxed and shipped forward from there. And, of course, he lost revenue because he had to pay basically another tax. So that was the deal, and uh, it, it turned into a real brouhaha, as you know. But you probably didn't know this, Ken, that this actually sparked the, the abolitionist movement in the United States, that once the Declaration of Independence came out, most of the northern states moved towards abolition, and by the time the Constitution came along in 1789, most of the northern states had abolished slavery. Did you know that? That I didn't know. So it was just and the South at that point. It was the South because it was, it was uh, you know, it become a way of life, an economic as well as a, a, a cultural way of life. And uh, But most of the northern states referred to the Declaration of Independence and said, look, these are people too, these are men and, and uh, human beings, and they have the same rights as we do to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's what our founding document, our Declaration of Independence says. And so we have to live by that. And it's been evolving since then. Now, listen, no government is perfect. No government is perfect. Uh, but we, I think, have a more perfect union than anywhere else I've been. <laughs> And I've traveled to the Orient and to Central America and the Caribbean and Europe and uh, Canada. And you would think that Canada was a free country. It is not. Their press is censored. Uh, you can't get Fox News in some areas because it's too, too uh, right wing. And uh, it, it's really uh, it, they can't they can't get across the border. 
um, they have to do all these, jump through all these hoops. Uh, but uh, we're unique. We are unique. And uh, anybody who doesn't realize that needs to get out and do some traveling. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So the affirmation of the principles of the, of the uh, Declaration of Independence uh, led directly to phased-in abolition of slavery and uh, to eventually to the women's voting rights. And uh, we had actually abolished slavery in the Northwest Territories, which were then Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, uh, Wisconsin, uh, you know, the states that were, were east of the Mississippi and north of the Mason-Dixon line. So th this had already been in play. And uh, we knew that this was going to cause a fight later on. The, the, the two great compromises of the, of the Constitution were the, the Senate, because the little states like Rhode Island and Delaware said, well, we're not joining if, if you don't have one house of the, of the Congress that is equal in, in voice for every state, because we're forming state by state, not not uh, people by people, not person by person. We're, we're a, a, a union of states. We're not a union of the population. Uh, that's to be left to uh, the, the states to define for their own populations. Of course, the federal government stepped in at certain times and said, wait a minute, we have a constitution that needs to work this way. But also, the, the little state said, look, you've already got a, a popular house. You've got the House of Representatives, which was uh, one representative for every whatever it was, 35, 25,000 people. We fixed it at 435 because it would have gotten out of hand. And that's why we have census and redistribution and all that and gerrymandering. It's a great system. Makes for a lot of political uh, theater. I love it. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> and so... <clears throat> The abolition of slavery, all men are entitled to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and the holding mankind in a state of slavery as private property, which was gradually obtained by unrestrained custom and the permission of the law, is repugnant to this principle and subversive of the happiness of mankind. And that's right out of Rhode Island's gradual abolition laws in 1784. So anybody who thinks that... Uh, that we started off as a slave nation is wrong. They're just flat out wrong, Ken, because it was just part of the nation. The North, for the most part, was anti-slavery. Alexander Hamilton was an ardent abolitionist, and he aborted. He grew up in the Caribbean, and he saw the slaves, and he, saw, and he had friends that were slaves that worked for him when he ran the store for the English merchants. He was 12 or 13 years old when he became the, the storekeeper for these two English guys that were shipping goods back and forth. I think he was on St. Kitt. I can't remember which island, but I think it was St. Kitt. Well, he picked a good one. It's beautiful there. He was born there, and um, his, his, his father, I think, was gone. His mother died when he was young. He was an orphan, uh, but he was such a bright kid. And the local uh, parson took him under his wing, and they actually collected. The whole island collected money to send him to New York. Uh, uh, or to Baltimore or to Boston to go to Harvard, and he decided he didn't want to go to Harvard. So he ended up going to, I guess what's it was called King's College. Then I think now it's morphed into uh, Cornell or one of the other big universities up there. But he decided that he would do that, and then he dropped out when the revolution started, and went back afterwards and finished up. So this is uh, this the Declaration of Independence has directly led to. Uh, abolition throughout the world. 
throughout the world. And without this, we would not have been able to have obtained our Constitution, because even though our Constitution is much more comprehensive and it's a legal document, which the Declaration of Independence is not, it's not necessarily a legal document between the government and the people of the United States. It was a legal document between Continental Congress and Parliament. But it became the, the, uh, the banner of freedom for all of humanity. All of humanity. And this is the document that was referred to not only by the founding fathers when they when they uh, wrote the, the Constitution, but also by peoples all over the world. Uh, Abraham Lincoln has quoted it in his speeches and many other presidents. And uh, did you know that uh, Frederick Douglass, the, the, the great 19th century uh, black um, freedom fighter and uh, civil rights fighter, that he, he loved the United States. And even though he was a slave and got free, and, and he abhorred slavery, and he took every opportunity he could to speak against slavery. He said, the fundamentals of this country are the best of any government in the world ever, and that all we have to do is live up to these fundamentals. And that, is, my friend, is the story of our Declaration of Independence and why we celebrate this holiday and why we should continue to celebrate it and not take any, any guff from any of these groups that say, we're not important, we don't count, we're uh, not a good nation, we are. We're good people, and everywhere I go, everybody I talk to from other countries tell me the same thing over and over and over. They say this is the least racist country they've ever been in, there's more opportunity here than anywhere in the world, and uh, there's more freedom, and we can't throw that away, Ken. We cannot. I've never been any place better. I don't think there is, to tell you the truth, Doc. It just doesn't exist. So that's why people still want to come here, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, they still want to come. They're still coming in droves. <laughs> They're coming. Listen, buddy, I, we had three of them camp out in the garage last night. I think they were from, <laughs> I think they were from British Columbia. <laughs> They're trying to escape, escape Canada. I said, okay, we'll hide you out here, guys. Uh-oh. Oh, fireworks going off, Doc. We gotta get out of here. I'm Dr. Bill, and we'll have a little. Well, we got about forty seconds. Just got forty seconds. Forty seconds, buddy. <laughs> oh my God, you're making me nervous now. <laughs> so here's what we have to be thankful for: freedom, democracy, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Choice of, of occupations and professions. Good educations. Good food. Great harvest. Safety. Security. Oh, baby. All right, man. Let's roll. Happy Fourth. Thank you for listening to Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Join Dr. Bill every Sunday morning at 9 for more insight, information, provocation, and fun. Dr. Bill Handelman practices in St. Petersburg, Florida at Bay Area Medical Can Care Clinic, 6399 38th Avenue North. For your convenience, telemedicine appointments are available. Call his office today at 727-384-6411. That's 727-384-6411. 
or visit his website at cancareclinic.com.